It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everyone, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely, as we get set for this preview of UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Harris, which, of course, will take place on May 16th at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. And it's good to be back. I'm ready to get a lot of these predictions right here. Uh, like I said on, on uh, yesterday's show, you know, we're slowly tuning it in. So you can really trust me for this Saturday's card because we, we didn't do so hot. I'll admit it. We didn't do so hot on uh, 249. On uh, the Wednesday card, we did a little bit better. So I'm really feeling solid about the 11 picks I'm about to make. If these picks even happen, because uh, it seems like there's a lot going on with uh, with weigh-ins and, and people falling out. We had that really interesting fight on the prelims between Giga Chikedzi and Mike Davis fall out. Apparently, uh, that, that Song versus uh, Chito Vera fight might not take place, but we might get Faber versus uh, Chito Vera. So, at lightweight, at lightweight, so I don't exactly know how all that stuff's going to work, but... I guess I guess if the fight doesn't happen, if it falls out between uh, 11 p.m. on Friday and and tomorrow's card, we'll just call it a no contest in all fairness, um, and 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 we'll skip that. And I have a, I have a feeling that there might be a couple of a couple of these fights that might fall through, but uh, we'll 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 stay optimistic on on some of these. So as always, we'll work our way from the bottom of the card to the top of the card. We'll go pretty pretty rapid fire on some of these prelim cards, uh, prelim fights, because I don't have a whole lot to say on on some of these. So that leads us to our first fight of the night. I believe so, because last time on Wednesday, I thought I had the order correct, and they, they must have switched it on me. So um, as of now, Tapology says this is the, uh, the, the, the prelim opener. It's a heavyweight fight between Dantel Mays and Rodrigo Nascimento. It is a pick'em I believe it was a uh, minus 125 pick'em for uh, Nascimento and then a minus 110 pick'em for Dante Mays. Again, new to this whole sports betting thing, so I'm not exactly sure how that works, how it can be a pick'em when both of the uh, odds are are 10 points off. But listen, you know, if that's how they want to do it, that's fine. Just just more confusing for me. Uh, And in this one, I'm going to go with Rodrigo Nascimento. Uh, I remember watching him on the Contender Series. I was impressed with his performance against uh, Michael Martinek when he had that uh, arm triangle choke. Um, I know Dontel Mays is an interesting guy because uh, what is it? he was on the Contender Series every every single season, I believe. Um, he lost his UFC debut versus Cyril Gaon. Again, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know a whole lot about either of these fighters. It's more of a gut feeling. It is a pick em. Uh, but I'm going to go with Nascimento, we'll say by first-round KO, because that's probably a safe bet when you're talking heavyweights. Uh, the second fight on the prelims is a strawweight, or excuse me, a uh, a flyweight fight between Courtney Casey and Mara, Mara Romero Barella, one of the hardest tongue-twisting names to say, and it doesn't sound like it would be that hard, but uh, that one gets me every single time. Uh, Courtney Casey is a minus 160 favorite. Uh, I'm going to go with Courtney Casey on this one by decision because it's, again, 
just like heavyweights and first round knockouts, it's it's normally a safe bet when you choose uh, female fights to go to a decision, uh, unless you have some real real punching power uh, at, at 135. Uh, but I know I know that uh, you look at her record; it's not super impressive. Eight and seven, uh, lost three of her last four, four of her last five, and good God, five of her last eight, all in the UFC. But you know, she kind of gets screwed a little bit. Again, not robbed, because I, I, I reserve that for very specific situations. But she does seem to get screwed a little bit on uh, some of these some of these these fights. Um, two split decision losses uh, in 2017 and 2018 to Felice Herrig and Michelle Waterson. Um, I remember those being obviously close fights because they were split decisions, but uh, a couple of these could have gone uh, the other way. Again, it's it's slowly becoming more, I don't want to say a deep division, 125, because obviously it's the newest division in the UFC, but uh, it's it's starting to fill out a little bit. It's starting to fill out a little bit. Um, it's, it's a lot of the fighters are interchangeable between 115 and 125. Um, I've never, again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on Casey or, uh, M old MRB, but, uh, I just remember watching Courtney Casey's fights and she's, she's a tough fighter, uh, might've got screwed on some of the decisions. And I don't ever remember feeling that way about, uh, Romero Barella. I don't ever remember being impressed, uh, by, by watching her. Uh, not that I've watched her that close, but she is on a two-fight losing streak, if that does matter. So, um, again, I'll go Courtney Casey by decision. Not exactly my my lock of the week on this one, because, again, it, it could go either way in my mind, but uh, we'll go with Casey. Because I'm trying to get these right. I'm trying to... I batted 500 last time. I'm trying to get this right. So, it's very important that I hone in my, my fight-selecting skills here um, for this card on Saturday. Uh, then we have a, a pretty interesting card. Uh, then we have an interesting fight here in the featherweight division between Darren Elkins and Nate Landwehr. Uh, Darren Elkins, the damage, uh, one of the worst tattoos in, in mixed martial arts right up there with, um, oh man, who's that guy who's got Johnny Cash on his shoulder? Oh, not Alan Joban. Why, why, do, I, why do I think that? Uh, oh, darn, I, for, I forget. He, he fought Bisping, but... Uh, the damage, that's definitely one of the worst tattoos I've ever seen just in, in gen pop either, just in the general population. Um, he is on a three fight losing streak, albeit to three really good fighters in, in Volkanovsky, who's obviously the champion, uh, Ricardo Lamas and Ryan Hall and Nate Landwehr. Uh, he was, he was champ over in Russia and I remember his, his UFC debut wasn't that long ago and it was pretty hype. It was pretty hype. A lot of people said, you know, he was the he was the prelim opener. A lot of people said, hey, watch out for this guy. You might not know who he is. His record, thirteen and three, not gonna, you know, stand off the charts necessarily, but uh, a very tough fighter. And he just kind of laid an egg against uh, Herbert Burns. Uh, this one's tough because they're they're they both lost their last fight. Uh, it's it's awfully hard to go against Darren Elkins, uh, just knowing how tough of a fighter he is. Uh, but I'm going to go Nate Landwehr on this one. I'm going to go uh, with the underdog, the slight underdog, because Elkins is a minus-135 favorite. I think uh, he, he kind of, I don't want to say he got screwed, but uh, that's a very, very tough UFC debut versus Herbert Burns, obviously brother of Gilbert Burns. And I think he gets the, the, 
the train back on the tracks here in Jacksonville, Florida. I think he will win a decision over Darren Elkins. I'm not going to predict the knockout, even though he does have knockout power and knockouts on his record because Darren Elkins uh, is a very, very, very hard-headed and tough fighter. So we'll go with Nate Landwehr. Uh, then I believe next in order is Giga Chikadze versus Irwin Rivera. Uh, the, the updated odds that I found, and these might not be correct because this was the fight that fell through, uh, today on Friday, but, uh, what I could find Giga is the minus 300 favorite and I'm going to go with Giga on this one. We'll say by decision, um, good kickboxing skills. He's on a four fight winning streak. One is uh, first two fights in the UFC against Brandon Davis, who, I mean, that's not saying much because that guy shouldn't be in the UFC. And a split decision win over Jamal Emmers. Don't know anything about Irwin Rivera other than he is 9-4. and four. I guess I can uh, click on his page. He's, his nickname is The Beast, which is uh, not, very, not very creative. It's kind of like having uh, a nickname like Pitbull, which is why I really respect people with unique uh, nicknames, even if they're not intimidating. Because as long as they're not silly, like the the... Oh, what is it? Brandon Moreno's the the assassin baby, not the not the baby assassin, because that would imply he assassinates children, um, or like Carlo the Cookie Monster Esparza. I mean, that's unique, but not very, not very intimidating. You know, classic ones are like the Count for Michael Bisping. That's you know that's that's creative. That's creative. I don't think I've ever seen that, and I respect that. Uh, Corey Overtime Anderson, you know, that's, that's an A-plus nickname. Uh, and, you know, to be honest with you, even, even Beasting 25-8, I know people say that's a bad nickname, but the more, the more I clown it and the more I think about why that's such a dumb nickname, the more it grows on me. I don't know why, it's not exactly rational, but I'm a big fan. I think Corey Anderson should go back to Beasting 25-8. Because I like it. It makes no sense. There's not 25 hours in a day, and there's not seven days in a week. But I don't know, man. Like, I know it's really bad, but it's it's like one of those, like, B-level horror movies from the 1950s where, like, the, the ant gets radiation, and now he's 30 stories high, you know? And it's just, it's so bad, it's good. So, Erwin uh, the Beast Rivera, uh, time to get a new nickname, but he is on a three-fight winning streak all by knockouts. So, you know, maybe he's got a chance, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, the proven the proven UFC product, I guess, if you want to say that, uh, two wins in the UFC. So we'll go, we'll go with the prohibitive favorite with Giga Chikedzi. Uh The second-to-last card on the prelims, we have a middleweight fight between Kevin Holland and Anthony Hernandez. Uh, it is a pick-em fight. It's both uh, minus 115, Anthony Hernandez. Uh, coming off of the uh, Contender Series where he had a no contest versus Jordan Wright. Uh, he's 1-1 one one in the UFC. He lost his UFC debut versus Marcus Perez. Got back on track late in 2019 with a Anaconda choke victory over uh, Jun Young Park. I'm going to go with Kevin Holland. Uh, mostly, and this is exactly what I'm talking about, people. Kevin, the trailblazer Holland. That's a good nickname. That's I've never heard that used before. I don't exactly know what it means. Kind of like the Portland Trailblazers. I don't really know what a trailblazer is. Like literally somebody who blazes trails. 
Don't exactly know what it means. Don't know how it applies to Kevin Holland, but I do like Kevin Holland. Uh, he's a very interesting fighter, six foot three, 185 uh, pounds, and he he needs to work on his takedown defense because, oh, where was it? His uh, his last fight versus Brendan Allen. Uh, I think that fight versus Gerald Mearshart, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, any fight where where his opponent takes him to the ground, it's just kind of a boring, really boring fight with Kevin Holland trying to get to his feet and not a big fan. But when he but when he's able to stand up, when he's able to stand up and not, you know, get taken down and 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 held to the ground for four minutes in a round, uh, he's a very creative striker. And I don't know a whole lot about Hernandez, but I'm gonna pick uh, Kevin Holland in this one. And then on the I guess the main event of the prelims, the featured bout of the prelims, I guess is what the UFC would go with. We have Matt the Immortal Brown taking on Miguel B- uh, Miguel Baeza. Uh, Baeza is a minus 175 favorite. Uh, he also came off of the Contender Series, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then he did have a win in his UFC debut, I believe back in Boston, with a, uh, a win over Hector Aldana. Uh, this one's tough because I am not a big fan of Matt Brown. Uh, I think he's a douche. Um, he is on a two-fight winning streak, though, against guys who are, are well past their prime in Diego Sanchez and, and Ben Saunders. Um, not exactly sure what he hopes to accomplish uh, at, at this point in the UFC. Uh, I seem to make people mad when I mention Matt Brown and the fact that he's incredibly overrated, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, he has a record of 22-16. and 16. Uh, Not exactly stellar. Uh, and I get the argument. I get the argument that records are not necessarily everything. You know, obviously look at Randy Couture. His record isn't crazy, but you look at his strength of schedule and its strength of opponents, and obviously it's outstanding. Not really the case with Matt Brown. Like, sure, he's faced some pretty good opponents, um, but I think he is thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly overrated. Um, I, I guess his best win was over a super young Wonder Boy Thompson. Um, he's a tough guy. I'll give him that. And I think he's right up there with welterweight knockouts, but it's more of a function of him having like 30 fights in, in the, in the welterweight division. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go, I, but you know what? I am going to go with Matt Brown. I'll pick him. Um, I don't know how big the hype train is on Baeza, uh, but I do know Matt Brown is a veteran. Uh, he will not beat fighters that he is uh, not supposed to beat, but he'll beat fighters that he's supposed to beat. Uh, I guess he's not supposed to win this one because Baez is the favorite, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll show a little love to Matt Brown and I'll say a second round TKO, which is going to lead us right to the main card. So the main card opener is uh, a pretty interesting uh, clash of, of two young fighters in Yud- uh, Song Yudong and Marlon Vera. Uh, if Song Yudong can get his visa issues worked out, I actually don't know if he's eligible to fight or if something has to change with his visa. Um, so in all fairness, this might be Uriah Faber versus uh, Marlon Vera. Very, very quickly, because maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but I'm not going to spend too much time pontificating about whether or not this is going to be Marlon Vera versus Uriah Faber, but I do want to get my batting average higher. So like I said, if, if, I, if I pick a fight and the fight is off, it's just a no contest. But I'm going to, because we know who the backup fighter is, I'm going to pick 
if that fight doesn't happen because I want my batting average to get higher. So on the off chance, it's Uriah Faber versus Cheeto Vera. I'm going to go with Uriah Faber. Uh, there, there are no odds on that, at least none that I could find. Um, but I'm going to say Uriah Faber beats uh, Marlon Vera. If that fight happens, it probably won't. It'll probably be Song Gidong and Marlon Vera. Uh, and I'm going to go with uh, Song Gidong. Very, very interesting fighter. Very interesting prospect. Has pretty, pretty significant power for uh, bantamweight. He is up at featherweight for this fight. Uh, I don't know if that's just a product of the coronavirus or um, if he made a per- permanent move up to up to featherweight. Um, but I, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with him. Uh, he was riding a seven-fight win streak before he had the uh, majority decision versus Cody Stamen. Thoroughly beat up Cody Stamen, but he had the point deducted in the first round, I want to say. First or second round. And uh, because of that, it turned out to be a draw, but uh, he, he definitely beat Cody Stamen. Um, and then Marlon Vera. A lot of people are talking sweet about Marlon Vera, so... Uh, definitely a fighter to watch out for. Still only 27. He's on a five-fight winning streak uh, after after having a two-fight losing streak in the UFC. Surprisingly, had a, a significant amount of fights in the UFC. He's been in the UFC since 2014, and he's only 27. Probably had 10 fights. And this this is definitely a step, a step up for uh, Marlon Vera. You look at his last couple of fights, uh, a win over uh, Nohalene Hernandez, that was his UFC debut, a win over Andre Ewell, who, um, you know, still at the still at the bottom of the of the uh, the bantamweight division. So um, this is a very big step up for him. And I'm going to go with Song Yidong. Uh I forgot if I mentioned that, but he's the minus 190 favorite. I'm going to go with the favorite on this one. I'm going to go with uh, a knockout at some point in rounds two or three. Um and then I think, oh man, it's so tough to, to guess what's next for some of these fighters. But I, I would I would think something big coming for uh, Song Yudong in, in the future if he can if he can beat Marlon Vera. Uh, again, I don't really know how the rankings would work. Uh, I believe he's ranked at bantamweight, but not at featherweight. And this is a featherweight win. Not exactly sure how that would work, but certainly a, a bright prospect to to look out for. And then the second fight on the main card is a fight between. Christoph Jotko and Eric Anders, uh, or Anders, excuse me. Uh, I'm gonna go with your boy on this one again. Amazing! This this card is full of amazing underrated nicknames. Your boy might be one of the best in the entire sport. Uh, he is the underdog. Jotko is the minus one sixty favorite, and I'm pretty high on on Eric uh, Anders. Saw him fight in Minneapolis where he knocked out Vinicius Mojeda. Uh, he had that split decision victory over Gerald Mearshart. And he's a game fighter. He's a game fighter. He hits hard. Um, not not afraid to take fights that, that are short notice or don't really make a whole lot of sense. You know, when he had he had that streak of losses where he where he lost uh, four four and five, where he had that split decision loss to Machida. He had that vicious, vicious head kick knockout of Tim Williams, pr- pretty much a soccer kick as he was standing up, and then he took a short notice fight, lost it versus Thiago Santos, uh, lost a split decision to Elias Theodoru, lost to Khalil Roundtree. All really, all really tough fighters in their own right. And then you know, seems like he's gotten back on track. Um, 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with him. I know Jotko is the favorite. Uh, this fight is at 185 and not uh, not 205. Uh, Jotko is on a two-fight winning streak after that three-fight losing streak, uh, where he lost to the likes of David Branch, Uriah Hall, and Brad Tavares. Um, haven't been super impressed with his victories. Uh, Mark Andre Barrio. I know I know he was he was highly touted. If you looked at certain prospect rankings, he was the number one prospect outside of the UFC. And now I think he's on a three-fight losing streak. So um, don't exactly know what's going on with uh, the Canadian uh, power bar. But um, I think the certainly the, the strength of competition is, is much higher for Eric Anders. And um, I think he'll get it done. I think he'll get it done pretty similar to his win over Vinicius Mejeda. Um, I'm going to go with uh, second-round knockout because Anders does pack some serious power. Uh, in the third fight on the main card... Uh, another another very intriguing fight. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, this fight night is not as stacked as UFC 249, but I, I'm, I really like this this fight card how it's constructed because there's a lot of really interesting uh, matchups that make a lot of sense. Like uh, Wednesday's fight card, I mean, there were some some matchups that didn't really make a whole ton of sense. Like, wh- why would you put OSP and Ben Rothwell? against each other it doesn't I don't know what either stands to gain from that but in this one there's not a lot of highly ranked opponents there might only be actually five or six ranked fighters um but but the matchmaking is really good really especially considering we're in a pandemic uh but I love this one Edson Barbosa going down to featherweight taking on Dan Ige and Edson Barbosa is the minus 135 favorite uh I guess, I mean, he ran into a, a buzzsaw at, of competitors at, at lightweight. I mean, Tony Ferguson, Khabib, Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder, uh, you know, lost four of, his, four of his last five, but always a really tough fighter. Even even the fight with, um, oh, was it Khabib? Oh, now I'm forgetting. Uh, yeah, it must have been Khabib because that was a, 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 a decision. I mean, still just throwing wheel kicks, still very dangerous, could catch you, even if he's hurt. Um, so as long as he can, and he did make it, but as long as he can make 145, you know, it, it's, 145 is actually low-key kind of deep, but it's it's certainly more shallow than the deepest division at, at lightweight, and a move to welterweight, I mean, that's ar- arguably the deepest division as well, you know, lightweight and welterweight are just absolutely stacked. Um but this is a good one because I don't know if a whole lot of people, a whole lot of casuals know about Dan Ige. Uh, but this is a guy who's on a five-fight UFC winning streak. Uh, knocked out Mike Santiago, beat Jordan Griffin. Uh, I was impressed. This is one that I, I particularly remember. His win over Danny Henry where he choked him out in the first round uh, back early in, in, in 2019. That was when I first heard of Dan Ige. And then a unanimous decision over Kevin Aguilar who was 17-1. and had a lot of hype coming in, and then uh, a, a tough split decision win over Mursad Bektic uh, just a couple of months ago on that uh, Jones versus Reyes card. So this this one is very tough. I don't know if I have a whole lot of hot sports takes, and maybe this isn't even that hot to be honest with you. But it's tough. It's tough to have hot sports takes when I'm when I'm really trying to get my predictions correct. But I'm gonna go with Dan Ige on this one, and I feel pretty solid about it. And maybe that's a little crazy, but I think 
I think this is his fight where he beats Edson Barbosa and people know who he is. People know who he is. Uh, uh, if you know what you're talking about, you know about Dan Ige already. Uh, but I think this is the one to, I don't want to say put him into the mainstream because obviously it's not a main event for Dan Ige. It's not a co-main event. And, you know, it's a, it's against a guy who's lost four of his last five. But Edson Barbosa is a very tough fighter, uh, can take a lot of damage. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say it goes to a decision, but I'm gonna go with Dan Ige. Uh, good boxing. I've been very impressed with with his performances. Uh, that that Mursad Bektich victory is is that's that's a low key pretty good um, fight when it comes to to the, the strength of the fighter. You know, so it's not like he's just beaten up on a bunch of scrubs. Uh, you know, he's, Aguilar that was a solid win as well. Bektich solid win. So I think this is the one that really puts him into the minds of of uh, of the viewers, so uh, that's that's about as hot sports takey as I'm gonna get on this one. But uh, I feel very solid. You know what? You know, ah, uh, you know what? I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it. I was gonna say that's my lock of the week, my lock of the fight card, but we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of fights. Maybe I just spoiled it, but we'll get to that in a couple of fights. My my lock of the week, but uh, I feel very solid about Ige. Uh, and then in the co-main event, we have Claudia Gedalia and Angela Hill. Claudia Gedalia is ranked number six in the strawweight rankings. Angela Hill is unranked, which is is really crazy because she's on a f- three-fight win streak. I have no idea how Angela Hill is not ranked. That makes no sense. Um, you know, I remember listening to her on the Joe Rogan experience, and uh, she's a very interesting person. She's, you know, got into the sport really late, still developing, and what is it? She just broke Cowboys' record for the most amount of fights uh, in a certain period. Like I think she has five fights in the last seven hundred days or something ridiculous. Um, you know, for the longest time, just kind of win one, lose one. Uh, but but all solid losses. Uh, you know, like Jessica Andrade. Maybe, you know, that was probably after she moved down from bantamweight. So you know. It's interesting because as time goes on, you kind of realize how good of a fighter Angela Hill is when you look back at her losses, which I guess is not exactly how you want to grade a fighter. But like Andrade at the time, I just kind of didn't really have a division to fit in, uh, you know, coming down from, from bantamweight. And then, oh, two years later, after Angela Hill fights her, she becomes a champ. So, oh, okay. Well, you know, that looks a lot better in hindsight. Uh, you know, Courtney Casey, like I said, tough fighter, split decision, probably should have gone to Angela Hill. Uh, a loss to Randa Marcos, uh, a loss to Zhao, Zhao Nan Yan. Um, you know, but again, and again, not the, not the, not the greatest opponents that she's beaten. I don't know who Ariane Carnalosi is. Hannah Cyphers has been thoroughly outclassed in most of her UFC, uh, fights and Luma, uh, Luka Bunmi. Uh, is a very young fighter, very young into her uh, MMA career, um, but th- this this really is where the rubber rubber hits the road here because, I mean, you complain about not being ranked, which I think is a is a a, a rightful gripe. I I don't know how she's not ranked. Uh, in fact, I can pull up the rankings, and I I'm sure it's just gonna well not anger me because I don't care too much, but uh, it, it's gonna perplex me how she's not ranked. Uh, you know, you have fighters like uh, Tisha Torres is is ranked, and Angela Hill is not ranked. Felice Herrig, Amanda Hebas is ranked. Don't really know how these 
these fighters are ranked ahead of Angela Hill. But listen, if you beat the number six fighter in the division, you, in my mind, now, if Angela Hill beats the number six fighter in the strawweight division, that means Angela Hill is probably going to be ranked number 10. But in my mind, if you beat the number six fighter in, in the strawweight division, you're the number six fighter. So, I mean, we'll see how the, the rankings go. Actually, I've been thinking about doing my own rankings. And I don't know how much work that would be, but uh, and we'd have to see how well it, it would be received. But I'm thinking about doing my own rankings because these UFC rankings are just absolutely dog crap. They make no sense. So I've been thinking about doing North Star uh, UFC rankings because how you can't tell me Angela Hill on a three-fight winning streak with X amount of fights in the UFC shouldn't be ranked at this point. You know what I mean? So... Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I do know the criteria to, to some extent, but I, I, I guess I don't understand the logic in, in some of the uh, some of the decisions made with with the rankers, whoever, I guess the media ranks them, uh, but they do not do a good job. Uh, Claudia Gedalia, uh, she last fought in July of 2019, had a unanimous decision victory over Randa Marcos. Uh Different fighting style, a lot more conservative. Uh, I guess reinventing yourself. And I am a big fan of Angela Hill, but I also want to get my predictions correct. So I'm going to go with the minus 210 favorite, Claudia Gedalia, by decision in this one. I just think it's too much for Angela Hill. Uh, I know that she's been very active. Uh, I think that can help her, especially with some of the mental issues she was talking about with fighting. Uh, but Claudia Dahlia, when she, when she's on, she's on, and I don't know. I mean, it 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 really really would not shock me if Angela Hill won this fight. But again, I'm trying to get that batting average up. So in the co-main event on uh, on Saturday, I will be going with Claudia Gadelia in the winners column, and now that leads us to the main event of the evening. A heavyweight matchup between Alistair, the Demolition Man, Overeem, and Walt, the Big Ticket Harris. And, again, this stellar matchmaking. Number 8 versus number 9. This was a fight that was supposed to happen, oh, I want to say about a year and a half ago. I feel like this one's been in, in the in, in the in the wings for a while. Uh, yep, they were supposed to fight... Okay, maybe not that long. Maybe not that long. But they're supposed to fight back in December, and uh, obviously supposed to fight on that card. I believe up in Portland. Uh, and this one's a good one. This one's a good one. This is a very good litmus test for Walt Harris. Uh, obviously, I'm sure a lot of people are rooting for Walt Harris for many reasons on uh, on Saturday. But we're not going to get into that because it's just going to absolutely piss me off. Uh, but but. I honestly mean it. Prayers out to to Walt Harris. That's that's, you know, unbelievably tragic, and it, it definitely made made me tear up a little bit listening to the uh, the the brilliant ESPN piece that they did today. Um, so, but I'm not gonna let that cloud my my judgment. I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'm gonna call it like I like I see it. Um, but I I certainly I certainly on on many levels uh, am rooting for for Walt Harris. Um, but, but back to the fight, you know, Walt Harris, uh, this could be his big break. You know, this is a guy again, who maybe the mainstream doesn't know about, but I feel like I, 
Let me say this, and again, I'm not letting whatever happens outside of the cage cloud my judgment because I felt this way back in December. I felt this way for for a while watching Walt Harris. I think he's going to starch over him. I think Walt Harris is going to starch over him. Uh, this is a guy who's on technically a two-fight win streak, but really he's won four of his last or three of his last four, and then he had the no contest with Arlovsky, which was a win. Um, but a very solid knockout. Uh, so here's here's the thing. I first I first heard about Walt Harris uh, back on that UFC 216 card when when uh, he was a, a late replacement against Fabricio Verdum. And when you talk about heavyweights and when you talk about Walt Harris, you have to throw the record just off the building. Nobody cares about the record. When it comes to heavyweights and when it comes to specifically the big ticket, just look at what he's done recently. Don't look, yeah, I know he's 13 and 7. 13 and 7 is not a great record. I'm going to be but that's obvious. That's obvious. Nobody goes, "Oh, wow, you're 13 and 7." Okay, but this is a guy who was a basketball player, got into the sport a little bit late. Uh, he is he is 36. So just disregard whatever happened earlier in his career. Like, you know, he had a couple of nice knockout wins over Chase Sherman and Cyril Asker in 2017. Then his his fight with um, Mark Godbeer fell through. Or no, 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 excuse me. The Verdum's fight with, um, uh, oh, was it Volkov fell through? Uh, whoever. And then he he steps up and fights Verdum, and he gets choked out in uh, 65 seconds via an arm bar. So... No shame in that, especially at that point in your career and at that point in Verdum's career. Yeah, Ver, you know, there, there's... I don't subscribe to this, but there's a case to be made that Verdum is the greatest heavyweight of all time. I mean, he beat Fedor. He beat Cain Velasquez. So, you know, a very capable heavyweight. And then he, a month later, uh, takes on Mark Godbeer, and he loses because of a DQ from an illegal kick. So at that point, he's 10-7. and seven. Yeah, the record's not great. Okay, but then he, he rebounds. He knocks out Daniel Spitz. He has a no contest with Arlovsky, which in my mind he won. And then a 50-second knockout of Sergei Spivak. And then in his last fight in July of 2019, a 12-second knockout of Alexi Olenek. And look what Olenek did to, to Verdum. You know, I'm not trying to say Alexi Olenek is the best thing since sliced bread but you know a very tough UFC veteran very tough veteran of the sport look at how many fights he has uh with a great ground game evidently a better ground game than Fabricio Verdum so you know he didn't let him take him down he didn't let him do anything he knocked him out in 12 seconds so this is a very big very powerful heavyweight who comes in just under the limit just under the 265 limit and I think he's going to starch over him. I I think all eyes are going to be on Walt Harris. I mean, like he said, there's nobody there's nobody in that cage that's going to scare him. You look at his last couple of performances, just brilliant, brilliant, powerful, beautiful knockouts. And I get it, it's over him. And if, if over him is economical over him and just backpedals and runs away, then okay, well, you know, he might... Harris might knock might not knock him out in a minute, you know, because Overeem 
and no shame in that. Why would you be an idiot and stand right in front of somebody just throwing at you? But, you know, we've seen Overeem in his fight versus Olenek and, you know, a couple of his last fights. You know, he's he'll just turtle up. He'll just turtle up. He'll, he'll, he'll put his forearms vertical in front of him and just let you throw 10 shots at him and you know he's he's a he's a very crafty veteran you know you can tell you can tell he's been fighting since he's 19 so he doesn't care if it's if it's not kosher to to run away literally run away from a a, a fighter if it puts him in a better spot yeah he's just going to turn his back and run away uh but i think Walt Harris just starches him uh you know he he did get knocked out by Jairzinho in in a fight he was largely I don't want to say dominating, but he would have won that fight versus Jairzinho Rosenstrike 50-45. So it is a big test. But, you know, Overeem, K1 Grand Prix champion, Strikeforce heavyweight champion. You know, this is a very decorated guy that the mainstream knows about, has wins over, uh, you know, Brock Lesnar. And I think this is the big shining moment for Walt Harris. I I, I really do think he, he, he knocks him out. And Walt Harris... Oddly enough, because I didn't think this would be true, but Walt Harris is the minus 150 favorite, uh, which surprises me a little bit. Uh, I would have I figured Overeem would have been the favorite. Uh, but it, it, it's a very good fight. It's smart matchmaking. And, you know, there's a little bit... I mean, let's be honest. There's a little bit of a logjam up at heavyweight. So I'm not saying Walt Harris is going to get a title shot off of beating Overeem. But, you know, once he beats Overeem, I mean, in my mind, he's just a fight or two away because listen, when Walt Harris wins, I think Walt Harris has won every single fight he's ever been in, or every single win he's ever had is by knockout. So when Walt Harris wins, it's not by a split decision. He puts on a statement for the most part when he wins. So, you know, it's not like, well, yeah, if he has four more decision fights at heavyweight, he could fight for the title. No, he's going to press, he's going to press the issue because he's going to steal somebody's consciousness. So he's one or two fights away from fighting for a title. Uh, obviously taking a look, uh, taking a look at the old rankings here. Uh, obviously Francis Ngannou is going to have to get, I mean, first of all, we need to get this Stipe, uh, DC trilogy fight underway. And then after that, obviously we're going to have to, uh, going to have to get Francis Ngannou his title shot. Uh, because I mean, how many more, how many more fights can this guy have as the number one contender before we, we get him in there for, for the title, whether or not it's against Stipe or really really honestly you could make a case that no matter what Nganu fights Stipe next because if Stipe beats D3 D3 if Stipe beats DC in the trilogy fight well then obviously it's it's Stipe versus Nganu too but if DC beats Stipe and retires with the heavyweight belt they're going to have to have a vacant title Obviously, Nganu has to fight for that vacant title. But then who was Nganu going to face? Why not the guy who was just the heavyweight champion in Miocic? So to be honest with you, I think Stipe is in a good spot. And I think Nganu is in a good spot. Uh, and, and that rematch is, is in a good spot. Because honestly, I mean, obviously a whole lot of stuff could happen. You know what I mean? Um, but but logically, man, it, Stipe probably fights for the belt even if he loses because DC is going to take the belt with him to retirement. So honestly, no matter the outcome, we're probably looking at Stipe and, and Nganu too. Uh, you know, and then you got like JDS just chilling. He's out there. And Blades is on a really good win streak, but there's no way Blades gets a title shot before Nganu. And the bad thing for Blades is 
if Nganu becomes champion, how do we ever have Blades versus Nganu 3? Nganu has knocked him out brutally twice in, in under 60 seconds both times. So, Curtis Blades, you know, he's kind of the boogeyman. He's kind of the Tony Ferguson of the of the heavyweight division. But, man, the path to heavyweight gold for Curtis Blades looks very, very, very bad if, if Nganu becomes a champion. Um, and then, obviously, when you talk about Walt Harris, I think his title shot would have to come after some combination of Nganu and Blades. I guess it would kind of depend. But, you know, and I, I don't want to say Walt Harris is the new guard because, obviously, he's 36. But there's a lot of old guard up there. You know what I mean? And let's not forget about Volkov, former Bellator heavyweight champion. He's number seven in the rankings. And I, I maybe I'm off, but I feel like he's only like 32 or something. You know, Derek Luce is up there in age, and Ganu's up there in age. Um, but we're kind of seeing a youth movement as of late with Rosenstrike. I know he obviously got knocked out by Nganu, but uh, the heavyweight division is, is shaping out to be very, very interesting. It's not just a bunch of old guys hanging around. There are some new guys uh, breaking through. So, uh, you know, if Walt Harris can win this one, I would guess maybe he wants a quick turnaround because I don't think he'll take much damage because I'm predicting a first round KO. Um, I don't really know what's next. Maybe a fight with, uh, Derek Lewis. Maybe that would make sense. Obviously two big, big heavy hitters. You could do another main event with, uh, with that. Maybe you put Walt Harris up against JDS. That's obviously, you know, no matter the, the last couple of fights for JDS, he's still Junior DeSantos. He, that's still a very, that's another very good litmus test. Um, and obviously, Walt Harris would pass one if he if he could beat Overeem on Saturday. So, uh, that'll be my final prediction for the main event. Again, Walt Harris, first round KO. He is the slight favorite. Oh, and that is my lock of the fight card. Again, I was almost going to make it Dan Ige versus Edson Barbosa, but I'm going to go with my lock, the the fight I feel best about, most confident in, and take that for whatever it's worth with a, a grain of salt because I'm a 500 picker at this point in my last couple of fights, but uh, last couple of fight cards. But Walt Harris is my lock of the week. So with that, we're going to wrap up this preview of UFC Fight Night Overeem versus Harris. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely, E-L-L-E-M-N. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. This has been North Star Sports.